I'm, I'm going to take a few minutes. I'm going to take a few minutes. And uh, I just, I feel the anointing with you. And I'm going to take a few minutes to just continue the teaching we've been doing. Um, look at somebody and say, neighbor, I got stuff to handle. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue our teaching, handling life's challenges, handling life's challenges. Tonight we're going to go to Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5. And I want to pick up Mark chapter 5 at verse 21. When you get to verse 21, stand on your feet with me and we'll read together down to verse 24. So Mark chapter 5. 21 through 24. Let's read it together. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come, and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live so Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him wow be seated in the, in the name of the Lord may the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his already blessed word I'm excited I've thought about this for a while because what is interesting to me is here a ruler of the synagogue comes to see Jesus he comes to meet him. He comes to talk to him. And what's interesting in the text, if you read it closely, the text gives you a lot of information. And, and I, I was interested because the Bible says he was a ruler of the synagogue. Now that's interesting because it would be synagogue rulers that would come in opposition to all that Jesus would teach. But this ruler goes against the grain and he comes to Jesus for a miracle. It's interesting because Jesus helps us understand this. When he heals in Luke chapter 13, if you have your Bibles, in Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, Jesus is performing miracles and as he blesses a woman and he says to her woman you are loose from your infirmity in verse 12 he says you're loose from your infirmity so then in Luke chapter 13 verse 14 he comes back and in the text there is an unnamed ruler of the synagogue who answers the scripture says with indignation because Jesus was healing on the Sabbath day. So here, a ruler of the synagogue comes in opposition to Jesus because of what he does. That's Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, for those of you taking notes. He, he, the ruler of the synagogue says, hey, you had six days to do that. You ought not to be healing on the Sabbath day, verse 14 says. Jesus looks at him and, and it calls him a hypocrite. He said, because you guys will work on the Sabbath day when it's in your interest. 
You'll do what you need to do when it's in your interest. If, you, if your donkey gets lost, you'll go chase him down. If your oxen gets, gets lost, you'll go get your ox back. Now God's blessing somebody who is infirmed and all of a sudden you want to act like you're holding up the, the banner of righteousness. You know, there are some people, the rules only matter when they apply to people other than themselves. I get to break the rule whenever I get ready, but don't you do it. What false indignation. What, 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 what false indignation there is. So, so the ruler of synagogue were not necessarily friends of Jesus. And if you look over at Luke chapter 12, go the preceding chapter, verses 8 through 12, when you read there, Jesus teaches them that, look, if you confess me, then people are going to come and they're going to have a problem with you. He says, don't, don't you deny me. Verse 9 says, don't deny me. He says, but you got to understand, those folk who will, will deny me are speaking blasphemies against the Holy Spirit, and that stuff will not be forgiven. But look at, at verse 11, it's interesting. Luke 12, verse 11. He says, now when they bring you to what? The synagogues and the magistrates and authorities. Do not worry about what you shall say. In other words, you're going to be challenged by the synagogue. And here somebody from the synagogue comes to see Jesus. Really interesting. What is also interesting, if you read the text closely enough, is the fact that those other persons, the synagogue is a building. It's a symbol of synagogues all over. It's not the temple, it's the synagogue. It's the local assembly, equivalent to our local church or even the local synagogues around here. Those are places. They're not people. The person who comes up and jumps on, on Jesus for healing, he's unnamed. But if you notice in this text, this ruler is given a name. In other words, he didn't care who knew who he was. He was from Capernaum. Jesus had come back over on boat after healing the demoniac. And when Jesus gets into town, he comes to see Jesus right away. You know my name. I'm, I'm in the community. You know me. I live here. You know who I am. Ain't trying to hide from nobody. The Bible says his name is Jarius. Interesting. You know what the name Jarius really means? The name means Jehovah enlightens. It's interesting because here's a man that God has enlightened. I, I do believe that every born again believer has been enlightened. The veil has been ripped off of your eyes. If our gospel be hid, it be what? Hid to them that are what? Lost. So that if you have received Christ, your lostness and the hiddenness of the gospel has been removed from you. So now you see, you are enlightened. He's an enlightened man. I don't know. Jarius comes to him and he comes to see him. 
You know, in the first century, the ruler of the synagogue was, would have been a, a Jewish layman or lay person, and that person would be responsible for the building. He's responsible for the organization of the building. He's responsible for everything that went on in the synagogue. He set up the services, and he decided who could go in and go out. And, and, and yet, it, it, in some places, it would be common for larger synagogues to have more than one ruler, but it seems like this one, using the singular form ruler here, it has only one person that's over this synagogue. And this one person named Jarius says, I need to see Jesus. This man says, I want to talk to him. I want to be with him. I want to find out. I need to, I need to get to him. Whether there was another group of elders that were in charge, that were governing that synagogue, I, it is doubtful, but it is possible. But we know he came. And I guess, I guess something that we need to realize is sometimes when you're being challenged and you're facing some of the biggest challenges of your life and you're in the midst of a dilemma, it doesn't matter what anybody says or what anybody thinks. All you want is some help. And each of us, and the reason I'm doing this series, each of us are facing challenges right now. Some of us are facing health challenges. Some of us are facing financial challenges. Some of us are facing challenges with our family. Some of us are facing challenges because somebody we love is facing a challenge. And what they're facing faces us. Some of us are facing challenges of becoming advocates. We used to have this person that we're working with and loving and helping through stuff. We used to have them advocating for us. They used to do the talking for us. Now we have to do the talking for them. You become an advocate for the first time. You're the person that people are looking to for answers, and you're saying to yourself, but I don't have the answers myself. People are asking you what to do, but you're unsure yourself. You try to look confident. You try to think that you're, you're pretty reasonably intelligent, but at the same time, you know it's a challenge. It's a challenge. And everybody in this room, on some level, is being challenged by something. And, and I suppose that, that one of the things that I'm interested in with this text is that, that why is this text even here? This text is strange. Because if you read it closely, and if you saw the board earlier, I have us going down those first, uh, those 21 through 24 or so, and then picking it up again at verse 35. That's interesting. Because when you read it closely, and we're going to do this whole section of the Bible here over the next few weeks. We're going to do 21 all the way down to the end. But what's interesting is that in the middle of his story, of him coming to Jesus, right smack dab in the middle, a woman comes up to Jesus who is suffering from a hemorrhage. We call it an issue of blood. And she touches the hem of his garment. And Jesus stops and heals her. Uh, one, writer, one writer put it this way. It's the equivalent of an ambulance driver rushing someone to the hospital who's about to die. And they see someone else on the road hitting the brakes, stopping the ambulance, turning off the, li the, the lights, and getting out and helping the other person. And while they're helping the other person, the person inside the ambulance dies. 
That's what happens. Right smack dab in the middle. So these stories are combined. It's, it's referred to as an, an, an intercalation, an intercalation. An intercalation means that simply this, that something is inserted in between something else. So there's a story within the story. There's a story within the story, which then would suggest to us that these stories must be linked. If there's a story within the story, if Jairus comes looking for healing for his daughter, and then the woman with issue of blood comes looking to be healed, and then we come back to Jairus looking for healing for his daughter again, they must be linked. They must be linked. Those of you Bible scholars sitting out here now, you ought to help me teach this now. How many years was the woman who was suffering with the issue of blood, how many years did she suffer? How many? 12 years. How old was the little girl? 12. She was suffering 12 years. The little girl was 12 years old. Two different scales of the spectrum of life, each having their own issue going on. Interesting. Jarius comes up. How does he describe the, the, the person? How does he describe the girl? What does he say about her? Anyone? Huh? Near death? But what does he call her? He says, my what? He says, my what? My daughter. Thank you. Verse 23, Jerry says, my daughter. I'm a father. I've got two beautiful daughters. Nothing like having your daughter, something wrong with one of your daughters. My daughter is sick. This girl, this woman with issue of blood has gotten a little older. And no telling where her father is. He may already be gone. But look what Jesus calls her. Verse 34. And he said to her, daughter. One of the few times that Jesus describes an individual that way. There's a link here. Jairus says, this is my daughter of the flesh. Jesus says, this is my daughter of the spirit. I feel like teaching it here tonight. This is my daughter of the flesh, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Jesus says, this is my daughter in the spirit. She's a daughter of Abraham. And she's a daughter by faith. Because it is her faith, verse 34, that made her whole. There's something else that links them. If you notice, it is the faith of Jairus that brings him to Jesus. And it is the faith of this woman that brings her to Jesus. Watch this. This woman's faith is being tested over an extended period of time to the point of near exhaustion and desperation. Jariot's faith is being tested 
to the point of exhaustion and desperation because he knows it's the end of time. One has been dealing with a running time. The other one is dealing with the end of time. And they both are pulled in by their faith and by time. Sometimes, sometimes, stuff will happen so quick, you don't know how it went sideways. And sometimes you'll be going through something a long time. Let me talk to somebody in here. You, you, you just started facing this challenge. It's only been a few weeks. Only been a few months. You just, you just entered this. You just got the news. It's only been a short time. And there's somebody else in here. You've been handling this thing for years. You've been dealing with it for a long time. Didn't just happen. You've been going through. I've got good news for both of you. God is a God that works in time and on time. Come on, you ought to be able to do a little better than that. Woo! I want to give you tonight, before we leave, four things not to do. Don't do. Don't do. These are the don'ts. And they come right out of this story. I'm just talking about Jerry's, and I'm just dealing with the first part. And then I'll deal with verse 35 to close the fourth one out. And then we'll come back again. Stay with me tonight. The first thing I want to give you is from verse 21. Verse 21 says, Jesus crossed over again by boat to the other side. And people, a great multitude, gathered to him. Before he got off the boat, the text says, and he was still by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. Wait a minute. You, you going to come to him now? I don't know why you didn't pull a Nicodemus. Bible scholars help me. When did Nicodemus come to Jesus? By night. If you don't want people to know you're talking to him, you go by night. You pull a sneak attack. You got a sneak prayer. Nobody know you're praying. No. While the multitude was around him, Throngs of people there, in the sight of everyone, the person who's the head of the synagogue goes to see Jesus. This gives us the first point I want you to do. And, and get this, this is, ooh, this is going to help somebody tonight. Don't be embarrassed by your decision. Don't be embarrassed by your decision. Let me tell you something. You know how many people don't get blessed because they're embarrassed? You too proud? It's funny how religious people and church folk are all proud. The world don't care. The world will beg for anything. Yeah. 
You, you remember that song? That's my preacher over there. He remembers. Ain't too proud to beg, sweet darling. Please don't leave me, girl. Don't you go. Ain't too proud to plead. Baby, baby. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I'm talking to somebody right now. The trick of the enemy to keep you from getting your blessing is to let embarrassment keep you from seeking your blessing. I don't want nobody to know what I'm praying for. I'm scared. I don't want to, I don't want to, I just, you know, this is personal, this is private. And there's some things that need to be private and personal. Don't, don't get me wrong. I don't want to ask for help. I don't, I don't need, I, I'm, I can do this by myself. I'm talking to you now. You better look up and listen at me now. I'm preaching to you. If I'm preaching to just one person, let me preach it a little harder. Okay. The trick of the enemy is to let embarrassment keep you from your blessing. Sometimes I got to be willing to say I don't have all the answers. I don't know. I'm going through something. I'm trying to deal with it, but pray with me. See, if I'm embarrassed because uh, I'm the pastor, well, you're the pastor. You shouldn't, you shouldn't have that problem. The devil is a lie. I'm still human. The trick of the enemy is to do what? To isolate you. Make you think you're by yourself. And then all of a sudden you start singing your song. Nobody knows the trouble I see. Nobody knows my sorrow. Nobody knows the trouble I see. And then you want to get religious. Glory, hallelujah. No. You have to, you can't let the enemy embarrass you out of what God has for you. He may have, I told you, other synagogues are going to be against Jesus. Jesus even prophesies that they will stand you, they'll bring you in front of synagogues. There'll be other rabbis and other leaders that will talk about Jesus, but he cannot afford, if he really wants a miracle, to care. You want me to preach it? Tied in to my daughter? in the next text because she comes to Jesus and she gets on the ground start crawling up in there and the only time she got embarrassed was when she stepped up and stole a miracle <laughs> she got shot in the arm, but she wasn't too proud to get it look I'm just going to get the hymn I don't need a whole garment. I don't have to have his hand. I don't even need him to look at me. I don't even need him to touch me. I don't need him to lay his hand on me. You know, I do nothing. Just let me touch the hem of his garment. And a breakthrough is going to happen for me. 
you know, when Jesus is passing by one man, he just starts hollering. Jesus, son of David. Jesus. Wait a minute. What you doing I'm hollering for? Hush up. No, you can't help me. The person I'm hollering for, he knows what I need. You look at somebody and say, neighbor, excuse me if I embarrass you when I call on him. I ain't embarrassed. Man, when I was younger, I, I didn't want anybody to know that I went to church and didn't want to know that I shouted or spoke in tongues and, you know, laid hands. I didn't want nobody to know because, you know, hey, I was young, you know, I, I started this thing as a boy. And my, you know, a boy's one fear is what? If, if the girls find out, they ain't going to like me. Y'all will get down on the way home. The, the thing I had to realize is what God was doing in me, it didn't matter what anybody thought. I could give a Rolla Maker John about what anybody would say because it was between me and Jesus. This between me and Jesus. This is an A and B conversation. See your way clear. N number number two. Number two, don't act entitled to deliverance. Don't act entitled to your deliverance. Now, I know somebody's going to tell me, and you were right to say it. The word says, command ye meet. It does. The word says, asking it shall be given. It does. Seeking ye shall find. And it does. And I ought to tell you this. Anything that is in the will of God, that God has planned for you, if you ask, it will come to pass. Hello? But you have no right to think just because you want it, it's going to be yours. Come here, Paul. I heard you've been praying about something going on in your body. I heard you kept praying. I heard you went in deep, deep, deep prayer. Paul, I heard that you figured it out. The Lord looked back at you and said, I'm not going to do that one. I'm going to mess with you now. I know this is going to bother you. Whew. What if God says no? You prayed for healing and God said no. You prayed that they would live and God said they're not going to live. Just because you desire it does not automatically mean it's going to happen. What I have to do is my part in asking. What did Paul, what did God say to Paul? Somebody help me. What, what, what did the Lord, what did he say? 
God's response was, my grace is sufficient. I, I, I just want to help somebody here. Because, because sometimes, you know, I, I know we... You, you, let me make it personal. If prayer would have kept my mama alive, she'd be here right now. Couldn't nobody pray better than her, and couldn't nobody pray harder than we were praying. But my mama sat my kids down three years before she died and told them, Grandma's not going to be here. The year before she died, she sat them down, I will not be with you this time next year. Let me, y'all don't get it. In other words, this answer has been given by heaven and I'm being called on. Don't act entitled. Because see, the moment you start thinking that just because you named it, you can claim it, you're going to get frustrated with God. You're going to want to quit the church. You're going to say, I ain't praying no more. I ain't singing no more. I ain't giving no more. I ain't tithing because I attached my tithe to my financial miracle. I didn't see what I was looking for. I didn't get the house I wanted. Didn't get the job I wanted. So God didn't do me right. I quit. No, I got to realize I'm not entitled. No, what I am is a child of God with a God that loves me who's going to always do what's best for me. Because he knows what's best for me. Although my weary eyes cannot see. So I'll just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I won't complain. Sometimes I don't know what God's doing. But God has been good to me. Woo! More than this world could ever be. He's been good to me. How do, how do I know that he, he didn't act entitled? He, he didn't, he's a ruler of the synagogue. But look at verse 22. Verse 22 says, And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. I'm not coming like I'm all that. I'm coming like I need a miracle. I'm coming like I need a miracle. And the verse 23 says, and begged him earnestly. 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 He just stretched out, God, I need a miracle. I need you to do it. You know, sometimes you just need to stretch out. Sometimes you need to lay prostrate before the Lord. Sometimes, I know, I know your knees hurt, your back hurt, everything hurt. Roll up on your bed and lay on your face then. Get before the Lord 
If you can get on your knees, get on your knees. Put two or three pillows down. Lean against something you can hold on to to get back up. Sometimes you just need to lay out. God, I need a miracle. Okay. Number three. Number three. Don't make excuses for your dilemma. Don't make excuses. Now, this is deductive reasoning in case you have not figured this out yet. Deductively, I can tell you this just from the text. Notice what he doesn't say or what is not remembered by any of the persons who were within earshot of the conversation so that it could be recorded. Notice what's not there. He doesn't give any indication as to how he knows that this girl is dying. He doesn't say, uh, the doctor told me. He doesn't try to blame the doctor. Well, if I had had a better doctor, it would have worked out. He doesn't talk about genetics and say, you know, this is something in my family and other folk in my family have gotten sick with this and it's in, it's in our genes. No. He, he doesn't do any of that. He simply says, verse 23, my little girl at the daughter, my little daughter lies at the point of death. That's all I want to tell you, Jesus. Because that's all that's important. That's what's on my mind. I, I need to help you. Excuses are for you, they're not for God. And sometimes we spend too much time trying to figure out a why of a thing rather than just dealing with the thing. We spend too much time trying to blame somebody. If so-and-so hadn't did this, if so-and-so hadn't did that. The only reason I need to know the why of something is if the root cause is going to help me with the deliverance. Hello? Don't keep sitting around making excuses. And a better way may be this way. Stop worrying about what you didn't do. Oh, if I had been a better mother, or if I could have been there, or if I had been a better father, or if I had taught them this, or if I had done that, or if I did this, or if I took care of my health. Look, it is what it is. You know, oh, if I hadn't gone to that place over there. Look, you, there's no need for you beating yourself up for anything that's going on in your past. Don't do it. How you got here is not as important as the fact that God can deliver you from here. See, sometimes... Here's the trick of the enemy. I'm blessing somebody right now. Here's the trick of the enemy. You've been saved 10, 15 years. Something that happened back when you were younger comes back up. You got to deal with it. Now the enemy wants to put you back to the person you were before and make you suffer thinking about what you would have, should have, could have done. And the purpose of him doing that is to drag you into depression. He wants to put you in defeat mode. He wants to put you down. I told you you weren't nothing. You, you weren't nothing before. You ain't nothing now and ain't gonna be nothing. And don't nobody care nothing about you. 
What the trick of the enemy is, is to cause you to so worry about what took place that you cannot praise God for what God's getting ready to do. I'm talking to somebody. You, you, you know why the devil does it? Because he makes believers into burden carriers. Let me say it again. You're about to miss something up in here. He'll make a believer into a burden carrier. He'll make you carry a burden that God didn't give you. He'll make you walk in unforgiveness when God's already forgiven you. He'll make you walk in hurt that's already been healed. All of a sudden, the wounds opened up that's already been healed. And now you're cutting yourself, making it wider. Look at somebody tell them the devil is a liar. I knew I need to get this message out tonight. I want to bless somebody tonight. I want to help you right now. See, see what with the, that trick of the enemy that pulls you back into that mess, that pulls you back into that spirit. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Pulls you back into a spirit. And that spirit that was on you, that hurt that was on you, begins to become all-consuming. And before you know it, you can't think about anything else. You can't talk about anything else. You're just walking around with it. But let me tell you something. Never pick up something from the sea of forgetfulness that God placed there. Look. Don't you go fishing in the wrong sea. If God has forgiven you, it's over. Let the past be the past. Tell somebody, get a move on it. Last point, last point. And this has been a great night. Great night. I'm, I'm, I'm appreciating you. I'm going to close with this last point. Don't embrace defeat. Don't embrace defeat. What do you mean, Reverend? It's in verse 35. Verse 35 says, While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Verse 36 says, As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid. Only believe. You. Don't embrace defeat. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care what you think about it. Don't embrace defeat. Because until God says it's over, it ain't over. It ain't over until God says it's over. It ain't over until God says it's done. Keep on fighting until your victory is won. Keep fighting until your victory is won. Keep fighting until your victory is won. Keep praying until your victory is won. Keep standing until your victory is won. Keep living.
God says it's over. Don't embrace defeat. Come on and give God a praise tonight. Keep fighting till your victory is won. It ain't.